You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni. Generally, when we talk, I, I mention, of course, the dis- distance that exists between us in terms of miles, Israel and America. In some ways, I feel that we're in the same boat today because of this worldwide anti-Semitic explosion. But, you know, I, I'm not going to have the presumption to say that the issues here are anything like what's happening in Eretz Yisrael, where Dr. Sam Juni is. And I asked Sam if he could share with us about some of the questions that this now month-long war, some of the issues, some of the problems that this war has really brought forth, whether it's your paid practice or you've been asked to just be involved. Okay, so the prototype of problems that we have here are people who are anxious about what's going on. Let's start with the pure case. The pure case is someone who was not a dual citizen, somebody who's here, who basically has no choice, more or less, whether just to pick up and leave, had no choice whether they wanted to be here to begin with, and then they're stuck with the situation. So that this is called, in a sense, a trauma of some sort. Okay, so to those of us who um, identify or fear close to people who have been injured. And it's also a situation of anticipatory stress, which is in constant anxiety that will I be next? When will my house be exploded? When will I be killed by someone who looks like he's not a terrorist, but really he or she is a terrorist? So that kind of anxiety. So that's the standard stuff. I mean, which it's not standard for somebody who's in it, but in terms of a psychiatric position, Trauma victims, very common, and people who are constantly afraid. They're in a dangerous situation, and they're afraid of what might happen to them. And that is most of what we get over here now, either one or the other. Uh, when I say trauma victims, I don't necessarily... Obviously, people who have been injured is one thing. Family of those who have been injured is part of the same. But then there are people who just identify so strongly. Let's say it's a close relative, or let's say they just feel... I am under attack. Most people here are not at that level in terms of the actual psychology, but they're at the level of being afraid of being attacked. Of course, the anxiety counterparts will differ depending on how much of a fearful person you are. We hope that the the army people, people who are serving the army, manage to um, get into a mindset, whether it's through indoctrination or through kind of self-training, that they're not afraid. We certainly hope so. Otherwise, that'll interfere with their protective functioning. What would you say, Sam, has been the percentage of this uptick since October 7th? I can't say in terms of numbers, because you have to understand that's not my specialty to help people. I just diagnosed them. But obviously, all mental health professionals are being flooded. And I can't just say no simply because I'm, I'm I'm a human being and I'm part of this business here. So I would say that the um, intensity of the reaction is definitely off the charts. Compa- not off the charts for what would be appropriate, but off the charts in terms of what I usually get. So I, I think what I'm saying now is something that everybody runs into because of my peculiar um, 
demographics and also the people I hang out with, I'm getting two other things. I, I want to launch into another um, uh, discourse over here. I find that there's a particular problem here for people whose, let's say, Weltanschauung is based on the notion that they're in this situation, plus they're also something else. So let's talk first about dual citizens. There are people here who voluntarily got themselves into the situation by living here. Even when they got into the situation, they didn't know they're going to get into this. They're still here voluntarily because they could theoretically pick up and leave. So these people, when they're hit by Chaz Shalom and actual trauma, kick themselves that they did this to themselves. Even let's talk about people who are not hit by it, but are just sitting here in anxiety. They're having problems saying, why am I here? Okay, why don't you just pick myself up and go? And, and there, when I said Weltanschauung, I really mean religion also, and I mean the intensity to which, or the degree to which you really believe in the religion that you supposedly believe in. So let us say that you um, talk about God protecting the Jews and this really being a Jewish country. And we want to identify, you know, the, the whole Zionist shuttle that's infected most of the people who live here. And I say infected, not in a negative way, because I definitely like feeling that I'm infected by it as well. But when push comes to shove, your ego says, okay, why don't you cut the crap? Okay. You know, this is baloney. You're saying that because now you have a lot of friends and you identify and it feels your place. And it's just such a great feeling being here rather than walking to Pathmark and Cherry Hill. But come off it. You're putting yourself in danger. You're putting your loved ones in danger. You're putting your kids and your grandkids in danger. Why don't you just take part of your IRA? You have enough of it. Shell out, move back, or at least go there on vacation. And then most of us have too much self-respect to do that. Okay, so we sit here and we basically hunker down instead of saying, why am I subjecting us to all of this? Okay, maybe because I don't want people to say that I'm a uh, a, a, a coward or I don't want to say that to myself, that I'm a coward, but that rips at the fabric of who you really are. So what you can do for that particular case is drink a lot of Kool-Aid, right? If you drink the Kool-Aid and start singing at the and start saying rah-rah, and then you start convincing yourself of a lot of facts. Like, for instance, if you can convince yourself that the whole world is going down the toilet, right? The whole Jewish world, at least. And then if that's not enough, of course, it's the whole world, even the, non- the non-Jewish world. First, the religious world and everybody. The whole world is going to go, go turn into Hamas town. Everything is going to be taken over by the Arabs because there's so many, by the evil people, by the neo-Nazis, by the Republicans. It doesn't matter what it is. If you vilify the whole world, then you end up with something that's congruent, everything fits, but you're going to be living in the world of hell, not just in the neighborhood of hell, not just the country of hell. And to some extent, the ego feels good knowing that you can run somewhere, even though you don't dare do it. But push comes to shove. I'm out of here. I have that ripcord that allow me to eject. But once you convince yourself that well, the world is really hell, then you're really going to be in hell. Okay, so for many people here, that's the only ticket. And shall we say for the native Israelis, the only way to deal with the fears in a way that's cognitively consonant is to convince yourself that this is the only place. Here, you at least have a chance to fight back. Otherwise, it's back to the concentration camps. That that was the the, the famous um, 
Piscom that Biden has constantly referred to when he talks about Golda Meir's secret of the Israelis, that we have no place to go. There are situations where you don't see the cause and effect. The situations where your anxiety isn't based on uh, why did I do this that now put me in a here right. where if I If I am- can just add, that's almost all cases of anxiety are not really caused by your reasoning of why it's there. It works right. backwards. You are anxious right. because of something in your system and you would try to attribute it logically rather than saying this is just chemicals floating around. Most people don't go to that level unless they've been trained in medical school. But, 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 but here, especially with the, with the expatriates, American expatriates who have gone, South America, South African, England, et cetera. France, Morocco. Yes. So any of them, they are actually saying, why did I make this choice? And the frustration goes deeper than the fear of the moment. It's hating or suspecting that what they thought was the right move wasn't. But I want to sc- turn the screw twice on that. First of all, it's not why did I, it's why am I doing this? And second of all, it's not why it's saying you schmuck, stop it. Don't you have enough strength to just look at a situation and say, I'm folding? What are you, some kind of junkie? Fold your deck. But, you know, you can always look and say, Sam, when, when we use this sort of specious reasoning about why you are here, because you decided to uh, listen to your wife and make that move, because you, or whatever it was, or why did I marry this person, or why this, this child that I had that's giving me so much Taurus is because I made this choice. So, so that I think is, is, is not necessarily trauma based. It's whenever a person has ended up somewhere that's frustrating or terrible, they go back and they think about that one great moment when they moved in the direction that inexorably led them here. Um, not unless they have a fairly consistent system and their personality that allows them to answer away these things in, the, in an incredulous way, answer them away. But I'm saying when the trauma happens, these things bust saying, cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really believe you're really part of the dream. What are you talking about? Okay. In other words, part of your ego, which is not on board, calls your bluff. And I'm not saying there's, there's a real answer, but you always have like the different uh, tendencies that are fighting each other. And here, trauma or the fear, constant anxiety of fear will definitely upset the balance. And you will end up feeling like without an identity, without real values, just being a, someone who is arbitrarily doing things that are harmful, part of you. The other part, of course, will kick in with thoughts that are more adaptive. So just to reiterate what you were saying, I know you wanted to get to your other point, was that if you drink the Kool-Aid, it's another way of saying you have to sort of, in a almost like a cultish way, keep on repeating the mantras that might have moved you there and just let you let yourself imbibe that. Right. But let me say, despite my cynical look of it, I really feel that that's very commendable. I mean, I call it Kool-Aid just to take the the uh, devil's advocate point of view. I went to a Shloshim last night. OK, yesterday was the Shloshim to um, uh, Simchas Torah. A huge crowd. Everybody had the Kool-Aid. Everybody. I drank some of it, too. I mean, in a sense, that's one of the only coping mechanisms around here to make things work, especially for those of us. And those were mostly Israelis. And they have no choice. But for us, that we have a choice, we still need the Kool-Aid or else. And that is pure, unfiltered, uncynical love of 
the Zionist dream, the idea of Eretz Yisrael, of Am Yisrael Chai. The belief in God, the belief in a kind God, yes. uh, the belief that uh, in terms of obligations as Jews, destiny, I can go on and on and give you a theory that covers everything, including gravity. It doesn't matter. It has to be total. Yeah, obviously, obviously, the more you tether it to a religious slash supernatural connection, then you are able to, you know, sort of like dissipate some of the natural fears that creep in. And then the positive aspects of your personality kick in. And it's like saying, okay, I'm going to have my tooth pulled. Fine. I'm ready to go to the dentist now. I wasn't until now, but now I am. You know, what's interesting uh, of what you said was that another like secondary option or uh, an additional aspect that can you layer your your faith with is the demonization of of everything that's outside of your specific situation which is Eretz Israel in other words painting the rest of the world as the worst anti-semitic type of civilization and therefore don't think as you were saying that it's better anywhere else. In fact, it can be worse because there we can't even fight for ourselves. Here we can fight. That's the bunker mentality. And, and this is, I think, interesting because obviously the news agencies and even the talking heads really get the most out of emphasizing the bad players. But I think you and I, Speaking about it, you know, I, I guess objectively still feel that the United States, even though the, the Arab voice is very strong among a lot of young people, it still is primarily backing the state of Israel. Obviously, when the question is, is phrased in a prejudicial way, like, do you support the killing of Palestinian children? Of course, they're going to say no, but most Americans really believe that Israel is correct and is on the right side. And therefore, even though the protests are happening, and even though the White House is being stormed, and even though everybody's afraid of getting the Michigan Palestinians upset because it's a swing state, it still is, I think on an objective level, a safe haven for Jews. Jews still have an incredibly powerful voice, especially in the Northeast. And I think especially, Sam, if you tap into the Bible Belt and you tap into the religious Christian world, there is an incredible support for Israel over the, the Palestinian or Hamas. So, yes, I think, you know, demonizing and saying the rest of the world, they all hate us and it's the only place we can be. I think that that is, as you said, a coping mechanism, but it doesn't reflect the reality you know, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to walk around with blinders. People said the same thing in, in Germany in the early 1930s, but I believe that that, again, this is not ninth, this is not Berlin of 1933. You just have to understand, you're speaking to me as somebody who's doing this podcast. You're not speaking to me, and I don't agree with you in terms of where I've screwed my head on now. Okay. The way I adjusted my head on now. You're talking baloney, and I can start giving you all kinds of um, arguments saying, yeah, sure, overall, they're not going to have a uh, a mass uh, lockup of Jews, but I would not be surprised if people start taking pot shot at Jews and killing more Jews in X country than in Israel. 
because here we can protect ourselves. You know, the the, the local police in Wichita are not going to be out there to protect you from every Meshuggah who might go ahead and kill you. I'm just saying that the, I, I think it's important to stress, I I understand fully the mental gymnastics or imagination that's needed. And you definitely can garner it from the news reports and create that image. And you can see where you can put it together. I, I, but I, but it is a mechanism that is a personal cocoon that you are constructing. I don't think that it's it's necessarily oh now you've a light bulb went over your head. Do you see what's happening there? Any place outside of Eretz Yisrael, you are actually unsafe. Here, at least, you can you can you can carry a gun and you have a government that's yours. Okay, you're, you're getting into an area now where we're dealing, well, we know the absolute truth and we know the uh, the um, relative truth. I'm not sure that you're even correct, but I don't want to go there now. I want to throw my other log into the fire and then try to get back. So the other log is something that I've had a lot to do with, you know, from a personal and also in terms of patients. So here's a typical thing, okay? Somebody is on the phone, second generation Holocaust survivor, right? Came here. Never again, right? We can't let this happen. We know the world will not let it happen. Fine, never going to happen again, but I'm going to Israel. It's my country, blah, 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 okay? It's never going to happen again. And then, of course, God, okay? God allowed the Holocaust to happen. Why did God allow the Holocaust to happen? We have two options. Either we come up with the rationale, blah, 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 which, by the way, is very threatening to most second-generation Holocaust survivors because if we have a rationale, there's no reason why that rationale might not be kicked off again, right? Most of the um, luminaries' approach to the Holocaust has been, we don't ask that question. It's a question, don't you dare answer it, because if you answer it saying the Jews deserve it, you're blaspheming and blaspheming God, blah, blah, blah. So we have, let's say, an attitude that most of us had, it ain't going to happen again. Why did it happen? I don't know. But of course, this was an anomaly or whatever. And I, I've heard some people have very harsh terms for the anomaly. And the message is, it's back. I thought I can dismiss this. Like many, many second generation survivors, we've talked about this, grew up with this horrible alter ego, but they've managed by saying they suppress it. It's not here. And it's back again. What am I supposed to do now? Concentration camps are coming back, right? These guys, the Hamasniks, what they did, it was in a um, a mini version exactly what was done then. People would come in and just kill everybody and do all kinds of bizarre things, horrible things. It's what do I do with it? Okay, and I'm having anxiety attacks that are nonstop. I feel I am now in the concentration camp and I can't get out. And again, I call that a dual, shall we say, identity because they're not just here; they're also vicariously the um, memorialites. They are living out the legacy of what their parents wanted them to live out, which is never forget. Never forget means become a victim and you are a victim. I see people who can run back to their country of origin and people who have this, who still have one foot in the concentration camp as having this horrible situation, which is much worse than someone who was just in the concentration camp, was nowhere to go. So this is a particular subset. And it, it, it affects it affects people of your age and my age, people like us who are who are children of concentration camp or Holocaust survivors. In other words, because we were raised with the specter of the Holocaust, and although it was the great terrible boogeyman that was 
that was constantly. And look, it was an implicit threat. It was a constant implicit threat saying, you know, when we were like being raised by religious mentors, you know, you know, go left of God and you know what can happen to you. It wasn't something abstract from Safer Well, It was exactly what the parents, parents are happening to tell you that happened 10 years ago. So we were raised with that terror to begin with, which you managed to subdue somehow. It's back. Then, you know, the, the old trauma has been awoken. You will never see your rapist again. He's knocking at the door again. So, Sam, this is obviously, like I said, it's, it is a subset. And I don't discount the fact that it's affecting people like yourself, people. But again, it's a certain and vintage. People like patients who call. And again, I would assume these are people in their 70s and 60s. These are the people that we're talking about, people of our vintage. So how are you dealing with this, considering that you're probably feeling it yourself? Yes, psychotropics only, which is a problem because they're not so much available. You know, but the point is, what can I think? And I say, stop thinking. Let's get you some medication. Thinking will not do it for you. After you're stabilized on the medication, and then the cognitive worries start. These are not cognitive worries. These are visceral worries caused by chemical makeup. Basically, an affective system has kicked in now. It's sympathetic. It's not parasympathetic in terms of physiology. You don't have a choice. You know, you're going to freak out. So we get you on the medication. Are these meds any different than general anxiety? No, no, they're the same just for panic disorders. You take them. Well, no, some are designed just for panic, but no, that's really the same. We're talking about dosages. And even, let me tell you, even the regular maintenance dosages that we have people who are regular anxiety um, patients, they would do a lot to take the edge off here. They would do a lot. They're not necessarily available. But the thing is, they say, how about cognitive behavioral therapy? I said, you can't start cognitive behavioral therapy when your hat's on fire. You got to put out the fire first. And that would that would also preclude talk therapy as well. Oh, oh, talk therapy is finished. You can't can't talk to someone who's running, you know? You can't talk to them. But cognitive behavioral has more of a way of kind of sneaking in without the talk, but the person has to be standing there rather than screaming, okay? And for that you just have to go with physiology. There's no other way around it. So, and essentially my job is very easy. It's like a two-minute conversation. Say, I can listen to you and be a friend, but but talk to your rabbi. And I and I, I don't have time and I don't have the capacity. And that's why even it's not my specialty to treat people, but this is like, you know, the first chapter of the textbook. There's, there's nothing to talk about. Sam, what, let's go to the opposite spectrum for a second. Much of the the pain and, and heartbreak that especially you see blasted in, in Western media and even for people is the what's happening to children. And I, I've met a number of children who are already affected by being displaced, by being surviving these attacks. Have you been in any way called to deal with the specific issues that are arising for children whose parents might be injured, missing? children who have gone through something which they've never had before. Has that come to your door at all? There's a a general um, call for enlistment for anybody who can contribute to kind of, you know, quelling this this emotional storm. So that's gone out. Um, Have I been called by a family about a child? Not blatantly so. No, 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 not blatantly so. And I'm glad, you know, it's not it's not really my specialty. Almost the the common denominator of what you've been talking about up until now is, is from adults who have gone through stages of life and have made certain decisions, 
have either uprooted themselves or understand what's going on. I would assume the average four or five year old who has, who has been a victim here doesn't really get it. And yet there are some sort of pain and difference that is, that is happening. Well, we see, but, but we see there, we, 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 it's much simpler. It's just straight trauma. It's just straight trauma. There's no, it's not the, the thoughts about it or the fear about it. It's just being traumatized. Somebody, a car accident, like you've been hit in the head, which, which is fairly straightforward. I'm not saying it's easy to fix, but it's straightforward. That's a textbook case. It's no different than somebody who actually fell or got a stroke. It's the same business. Trauma. What about a little bit less severe? What about uh, a child, like I noted so many of them in my stay in Yerushalayim, who were displaced, who now can't be in their normal house, who are somewhere in a house that they don't know? Not that not that different from going to camp. I mean, practically speaking, not that different, right? If you're told you're going to camp because your parents are busy getting divorced, that's a problem. But you're going somewhere else. So, of course, people who are, some kids are very much fixed on their routine and their places. They're going to be uncomfortable. But you see that in camp. I've been called plenty of times for people in camp who are freaking out. And they're having an anxiety attack because it's not what they're used to. But there, it's it's more like the disruption of their particular living arrangement than the large issues. Kids are not concerned by large issues. It's, they are concerned if they had to run from a bomb. So there, the kids who have been hit, they actually are afraid. It's like somebody beat them up, of course. Sam, have you have you had to, uh, I know you, you mentioned you know, attending a shloshim. I, I know we all know people who have lost family members. What about, and this of course is true, I guess, for every parent, but especially now as the numbers start to increase, parents who have lost Children, especially those who have been fighting as soldiers uh, for the Tzvah Gunnel Israel, have you been called in at all to speak to them? Okay, I have been avoiding that like the plague because it's too close to home. It's too close to home. Sitting around and having, you know, nightly dreams about what could happen. It's, it's, it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm on a lot of scotch tape, okay? To trying to keep myself together. Um, I have not gone to a single funeral at our Herzl yet. Okay. I'm not saying that as a badge of honor. I'm saying it more as a badge of cowardice, if you wish. I am not sure that I can hack it. Okay. I'm not sure that I'll be able to sleep after that period. And, and, and this, of course, is not the first time that people have lost children, but there are so many incredible messages that these parents have. And, and it, you know, you sort of wonder, and again, I want to get a little clinical here. You're talking about positive messages? Right. How many times the parents of, 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 of soldiers who have died, the parents who have children who have been slaughtered, they will speak at the funeral and they will talk about, you know, their, their faith. That's all they have left before they go bonkers. That's all they have left. I mean, that's what they need. What else do they have besides Kuwait? There's nothing else. And, and, and so therefore it's not surprising when you hear so much Amuna being, being spouted. So. Not at all, BC, but I don't know if it's Amuna. I mean, I, I'm being cynical. I, I understand. It's, it's, it's what they need to, it's the bomb, the south. Otherwise they're finished. You know, I might as well lock them up. You can talk about the fact that there should be no embarrassment about this, that this is a, you know, the, the, the uh, trials and tribulations, the, 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 um, illness aspects or the questions we're having about religion or, 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 or 
even more than that, these are all natural phenomena. They're all usually below the radar and they're acceptable. And we shouldn't vilify ourselves for either having this reaction or that cognitive or that religious reaction. It's all part of what normal functioning is all about, especially while you're adjusting your um, your sights. Uh, Sam, much has been made, and, and I was witness to it, of the positive, the unified spirit that wafted out of Eric's control after the attacks. Are you seeing any dents to that? Are you seeing it collapsing in any way? No, I'm hearing some echoes from Tel Aviv, actual protests against the war that are coming through. Okay, it might not be publicized, but it's there. It's, it's, it's minimal because I, I know, um, like I've not heard any major uh, shouting between the different, um, uh, demographic groups here. So I don't see it falling apart at this point. So that really concurs with what, what I observed as well. And, you know, I took that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it, that it took uh, such a horrendous day to be able to usher in, you know, the type of civility that is that I think is, is, is so positive. Please don't go on to theologize that that is why this happened. Uh, of course, you know I that I would not do that. Oh, I've heard it. Let me tell you, I've heard this a couple of times, and it just, if I wouldn't be in this, I would get annoyed. Well, I want to tell you something, that someone who studies history has taught history. I feel that there is a st- strong parallel between the spirit post Pearl Harbor in America to what I saw on the Splain Earth to throw. In, in, in America post Pearl Harbor, everybody seemed to understand you have to contribute. Everyone, there was rationing. There was a tremendous love for the GIs. There was an, an incredible sense of let's take care of them. And, and, and that is something which, again, I know it only from newsreels and from movies from that period. But but that's very similar to what what you're seeing in Eric's Israel now. Yes, it's time for you to go work in a in a nursing home. It's time for you to help deliver milk. It's time for you to do what you can. Sign up if you can't serve yourself. Do something else in terms of civic duty. And, and, and as you say, that's a coping mechanism. But it also changes you and, and makes you less selfish about the petty things than usually. Perhaps you know cause you to be disrupted. You know, again, it's it's not a it's not a boon to mental health, but you know, it's definitely a, a way of of the mind focusing on what's important, what's crucial, and speaks to the better nature of human beings as social animals. You know, Sam, I, I would just end that. You know, our audience is mostly, of course, people from Anglo's. Are some of your health professionals here? Also doing teleconferencing, people all over the world can really be helping. Especially for people who are stuck here, stuck, so to speak. Let's say there are students, there are plenty of students around who are here who have uh, either run back or have elected to stay, or some have come back this week, actually. And also there are people who um, maintain their um, treatment relationships, even though they're living here. They maintain it because starting from COVID, they... uh, gotten to the mode saying, I'd rather deal with my regular professional than deal with somebody here. So sure, to put it like stupidly, business as usual. Yeah, which which means that it isn't just the health professionals like yourself and Eric Sistrol who need to start of rolling up their sleeves and donating sure. and doing what they can, but really health professionals all over the world. And also, also straightforward medical professionals. I mean, most of the um, uh, treatment that's done 
which is psychotropic, is being done by your first-line GPs, not by per, not by mental health professionals. That was most of the Xanax that's prescribed is prescribed by regular GPs. So really, I guess what, you know, if our listeners who, who are in this field, or if you have friends, encourage them to do what they can to connect in a way that they could help especially the people in Eretz Yisrael. And the, I do know of people in the United States who are having um, a pretty hard time dealing with this. Pretty hard time. So it's not just there. Definitely. So hopefully we will hear better news. Surasovas, of course. Take care. We'll, we'll catch you, Sam. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.